right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number 14 of Behind the Wheels, our podcast about everything black music. My name is DJ Artistic. I am a DJ and a overall black cultural curator based in Los Angeles, California. And let me introduce you all to my host, EB. EB, what's good? What's going on, everybody? I am EB, based in Brooklyn. I am a writer, blogger, and a content creator and a lover of all things black and beautiful. That's what it's about. This is Behind the Wheels. So this is episode number 14. We have a lot of things to cover for y'all today. So let's just hop right into it. So as far as some of the current events that happened, uh, this past weekend was actually DMX's funeral. So I know the past, uh, the previous episode, we talked about DMX and just his overall legacy. And uh, they had the the funeral this past weekend. And it seemed to be pretty eventful. I actually couldn't watch it because I was actually working in, 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 uh, in transit, but... Uh, EB, uh, what what do you know about that funeral? Did you get to watch it in person, or what? what was yeah, it? I um was out and about. I live not far from where everything is going on, so I, I got to see all the bikes and the ATVs come in, and I got to see his casket come in. Oh wow! wow. And it was crazy. Like it, it was one of those things where New Yorkers all came together, like all boroughs, <laughs> like everybody descended to right here to Brooklyn, and it was just love, like. I would say for a good five or six blocks, just streets are blocked off and there are people everywhere selling merch. They got T-shirts, people out there selling bottles of wine, people out there selling cups of wine. Yeah, it was it was crazy. Like Brooklyn will sell anything. So they were definitely trying to get it off. But it was it was beautiful to see everybody come together because of this man. Like everybody loves DMX and. I really love the bikes, man. Like the bikes and the ATVs. I want to see it in person. No, it was yeah. it was crazy. I've never seen so many bikes at one time. And I'm from South Carolina where we have Black Bike Week in Myrtle Beach. <laughs> I've still yeah. never seen so many bikes and not just like black men on bikes. There were everybody was on bikes. Like there were kids out there on bikes. They had black women on bikes, Puerto Ricans out there, Dominicans. I saw a couple <laughs> Asian people like it was one of those things where I was like, oh, man, DMX fans are worldwide. So it was beautiful. Oh, definitely. DMX, he had that type of appeal. It's like as gutter as he was, as grimy as he was. Yeah. It's where, I mean, even before he passed, I did a corporate event on Zoom, and it was probably like 90% others, and I put on <laughs> up in here, up in here, and they <laughs> they get hyped to it. So DMX had that we are the world appeal, even though he, he wouldn't you wouldn't think so on surface. So right. it's not too big of a shock. Um I saw a clip last night from the funeral. I don't know if it was I mean, I guess it did happen at the actual the main one where some guy named Jungle got on stage and did you did you see that part? I didn't see that part. I heard about it, but I didn't see that. Yeah. So from what I what it looked like, I guess he was saying he was a childhood friend of DMX for twenty, thirty years or even longer. Mm-hmm. Maybe fifty years, but he was I guess he wasn't even invited to speak, but he got on stage and he was talking. And then the pastor cut him off. Was like, you know, you disrespected my house. And the dude was trying to say he's the reason DMX made his new album. And the crowd was kind of booing him, but it was it looked real awkward. And I didn't even know if that was at the real funeral itself or was that like the family personal? Yeah, I didn't. I couldn't because I because I didn't see the actual clip. Um, mm-hmm. I know they had at the Barclays was just like the public memorial, but even that was still not open to everybody in public, but they had a Uh, private separate uh, ceremony at an undisclosed church. And I'm guessing that probably was in Yonkers, but who knows? Probably. So that's what it looked like. Cause I I guess the way the pastor said, uh, my house, you know, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. That was probably like the private funeral. So, I mean, the fact that he was there, I mean, he knew somebody who 
told him where he, he knew was. somebody. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, he, he could have been cool with him, but I mean, not cool enough to speak. So obviously, right. <laughs> that's what that's what happened. So I mean, it's been eventful lately. So uh, speaking of deaths, uh, we lost Black Rob and Shock G like the following weeks. After that, and it's crazy, crazy because, like, black, I mean, it's the same era when it comes to Black Rob. Like, in 2000, Woe was just one of those songs that I don't care where you were at, where you were from, your age, like, that song is just, it's easy to, to say. So, I mean, it makes it easier. I mean, mm-hmm. it makes it even better. It's, you put that song on, you don't have to know every single lyric. As long as you know to say, Whoa, when that part comes, you're good. But that's me. It's like, it's like, leave, like losing him. And we've mentioned, like, 24 Hours to Live, and he's on there, and yeah. it's. Him and yeah. DMX together, which is crazy that they died so yeah. close together. And yeah. um, both of them being on that song, which kind of really before their debut albums, you know, yeah, just on this true. song that wasn't even a single, but it was so hot that they had to add a video. It's yes, like yeah. that speaks to the talent that both of these men had. And Black Rob was also like a cautionary tale for anybody trying to sign to a label who didn't want to get caught mm-hmm. up in some janky contract. It was like, oh, you know, <laughs> look, 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 look at Black Rob. It's true, and it just reading what people said about him. They're saying that he he spent his whole life kind of institutionalized, like he was in and out of jail his entire life. And yep. like I've I've seen mixed reviews about what people feel about I guess Puffy's involvement. Like right. some people said that, of course, the initial um, uh, feedback was saying that he should have been been able to pay for whatever he needed help with before he passed. But mm-hmm. some folks said that it was it wasn't even about money. It was just about his health and about what he was dealing with. And did he did? I mean, he did. Covered the funeral, which could have been retroactive. Either way, it was right. I mean, it was a tragic way that it happened. And then the following week, we lost Shock G. Shock G. I was man, yeah. So with Shock, I mean, we're gonna get into Shock a little bit later, of course. But Shock is one of those that somewhat of an unsung hero, but everybody knows who he is. It's just that if you don't know anything but the surface, all you know is the is you know the Humpty Hump in the nose. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we definitely gonna get into that coming up, coming up real soon. So let's go go ahead and get into it. Our first segment is called Rewind. In the Rewind segment, we talk about basically everything from unsung artists to those legendary artists that we feel deserve to get even more flowers than they already have. So, EB, for this episode, who would you uh, pick for your Rewind? So, this episode, I'm going with Tracy Spencer. And for anybody who that name does not sound familiar, everybody knows the song Tender Kisses and remembers her being on Family Matters and singing that song. But um, wow. like she's she's had an amazing career and the people don't realize how young she was when she started. She was 11 years old. She won Star Search that uh, was hosted by Ed McMahon. She won the junior mm-hmm. vocalist um, $10,000 prize. And that was the same prize that Shanice had won two years before her. And then two years after her, I think Countess Vaughn won that same Wow, that same wow. thing. So you know, Star Search yeah. was like big before like American Idol. It was where yeah. a lot of people made names for themselves, but. She was 11 years old when she went on there, and she was so good that um, she was signed to Capitol Records. And at the time, she was the youngest person to sign to any major label ever at 11 years old. She signed this deal with Capitol Records, and that was in 1987. So in 88, uh, she released her debut album, Tracy Spencer, and she had the singles Hide and Seek, Symptoms of Love, and Imagine, which was a um, Paul McCartney remake, I believe. But okay, yeah, you know, she her first album did pretty well. You know, she was a 12 year old singing these songs that you probably should not have been singing. I mean, hide and seek <laughs> is not about playing, high, it's about a different I'm type sh- of hide and seek. But sure. <laughs> it, and it, it was played on Quiet Storm yeah. station, so I'm mean, there were people mm-hmm. listening to it, like mm-hmm. listening to a 12 year old girl sing about 
sex, Ugh, which is that's crazy the 80s. to me. That's, yeah. the, that's the eighties and nineties for you. Crazy to me. Um, yeah. But she did wow. that. The album was a it was a success. So then she released her second album called Make the Difference in nineteen ninety. So now she's fourteen. 14 mm-hmm. years old, um, it had Save Your Love on it, it had This House, This Time Make It Funky, Love Me, and then Tender Kisses, which was, you know, wow. the big mega hit. Surprisingly, though, uh, Love Me was, like, her, like, hottest number one. It was her most popular song, it which makes higher. sense. Yeah. Um, she took a break after that, and she was modeling for, like, Calvin Klein, Tommy Hilfiger. Um, she came back in 2000 with an album called Tracy. People might remember the song called uh, It's All About You, Not About Me. It was uh, vaguely, it, it vaguely, was one of those things. Yeah. A friend and I went and listened to that album. A couple months ago, we just sat and listened because we were trying to figure out what happened to Tracy Spencer. The problem yeah. with the album was, in our opinion, that everything sounded like a song that someone else would have done or could have done better. Mm. Like... There are songs on there that sound like, oh, you know, 2000 TLC would have killed this and it yeah. would have been a hit for them. Probably Maya. Yeah, Maya Maya would have killed it. There was one song where she yeah. used the sample by Brick, the song, the, um, song Fun, um, that uh, oh, yeah. Akinyele used for Put It In Your Mouth. And then India Ari would use it a couple years later. And it was big for India, but it didn't go anywhere for Tracy Spencer, which is mm, crazy because wow. she's got the wow. talent. I think what really happened to her was um, since she started so young, there was nowhere to go. Like you start at 11 singing these songs and in a different era, because when you're starting in 87, by now it's 2000. That's five years. Yeah, you've never done anything (laughs) hip hop at all. And by that time, everything was saturated with hip hop. It was R&B and hip hop had kind of merged, you know, to the point to where you could not release anything without having a hot rapper, at least on a remix. She never did that. But she I mean. In her years, she had a pretty successful career. She um, won the ASCAP Songwriter of the Year Award for Tender Kisses in 1992, making her, again, the youngest female artist to win this award. Um, She did background vocals for a while. Songs she did was Eve Satisfaction. That's Tracy Spencer singing. She's singing background on Twisted Slow Jams. Yeah. Really? Yeah, she's on 50 Cent's Get Rich or Die Trying album. She's on Kanye's College Dropout album. Like she she was working and then she decided to hang it up and call it quits and left on her own terms, which is great because the album Tracy, although I think it's good, it wasn't as popular as her sophomore album. So she decided to bow out while, you know, she was still on top and it worked out for her. But that's I had to highlight Tracy because, man, Tender Kisses is just one of those songs that Hmm. when it comes on, I just always go back to that Family Matters episode. But yeah, a lot of people love, love Tracy, like even like this house and uh love me like those are big hits so shout out to tracy spencer salute to tracy like she's one of those artists that you kind of had to be there in that era to really know who she was and yeah uh, you had to be there for when tender kisses dropped and like you said it it's funny how certain songs identify with sitcoms especially in the 90s yep it's so many songs like speaking of family matters even like for the cooling you Whenever you hear it, it takes you right back to Family Matters. So it's like the same way with Tender Kisses. And and one thing, like you said about the eras, we always talk about that. Those artists who came out in the Mm mid-80s up to like the early 90s, the eras changed so quickly. And for her, she dropped the album in 88, 90, and then 99. Right. That's a that's a basically a ten year difference in the nineties. Each to me, three year segment is like ten years in the nineties because 1990 didn't sound like 93. 93 was different from 96. So 
that's a lot of different eras to be jumping in. It's almost like the fact that you mentioned that she was so young, I didn't realize it because that means she was like 24 when she dropped that album in 2000 or 99. Yeah, like that's she, young, young. She's just a few years older than like Brandy, Monica, Aaliyah, just yeah. like two or three years older. But, you know, she came out so far before them that people yeah. don't really associate them all as being together. Like nobody era. mentions it. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah. Always, because, I mean, even you saying that, I assume she was more so in, like, the Shantae Moore era, because for her to come out late 80s, I'm thinking right. she would have been, yeah, like, at least eight years older than what she was. Nah, so, 11 years old. Yeah. That's crazy. Making seeing history. High, yeah, history and seeing hide and seek. Seeing about hide and seek. <laughs> I mean, that was so common, just like Tevin had to break it down. It, yeah. That's Prince's fault, though. Prince did that. I, but, well. Yeah, that's Prince for you. So, yeah, so <laughs> salute to Tracy. Salute uh, to so, Tracy. All day. My rewind, of course, it has to be Shock G. So, yeah. So, Shock G, it's crazy. He's one of those who I consider uh, using anyway for a rewind. And whether whether it was him on his own or Digital Underground, I felt like they had to be highlighted. But unfortunately, it had to be after his after his passing. But with Shock G, it's like, where do I even start? So, I'll just start saying that he's one of those who I actually did. Um, I didn't know him at that level, but I've been around him several times, met him um he was close friends with my cousin Murs, who's a rapper. So mm. being around Murs, uh, they, they made a song back in 03 called Risky Business. They had a video for it. And then he was at Murs' wedding and the wedding was lit. Just his personality in person. He really is like Humpty and Shock in person. Because if you if you look at how Humpty and Shock were, like, of course, it's the same person with a different alias. But he would <laughs> hop into that Humpty character for no reason. Like, right. it was a point in time when I was like, like, I was walking around the wedding just looking for food. He was like, hey, man, you hungry? And he used that that shock. I mean, I mean that Humpty. He used the that Humpty, Humpty voice, voice, and I'm just like, oh, this fool's a clown. But yeah, so going back uh, just to his history, so I didn't realize it until like years ago that he actually we associate him with being from the Bay, but he was really born in New York, just like a lot of West Coast artists, mm-hmm. and was raised born and raised really in Tampa more so. So even with him passing in Tampa, that was really where he spent most of his childhood. But he was always in the music. He was a DJ at a point and. And, um, of course, producer, rapper, everything. And with Digital Underground, they broke through, like, 89, 90. The very first single was that Do What You Like, of course. And then mm-hmm. uh, the big breakthrough was Humpty Dance. And Humpty Dance is, I'll say, still top 10 90s party record. Maybe top five, but it's definitely top 10. It's yeah, up there where... It's way up there. Every generation knows it. Like, even if you remember the, the movie Dope from six years ago, mm-hmm. at the very end of Dope, like, the whole credit scene was just him dancing to Humpty Dance. So... That song had major impact, and it's it's hilarious how I guess I just always knew that that was Shock playing Humpty, but a lot of folks didn't realize it even <laughs> until after he died. I'm like, how did y'all not know this? But somebody told me that even at concerts he was such a troll that he would be rapping a song, and then as he's rapping as Shock G, uh, Humpty would pop up on stage rapping, and everybody was really confused. Like, wait, I thought it was him, but it's not. He would have his brother act like Humpty sometimes oh, wow. during live performances, just just to have fun with it, just to make people really say. Or it really is somebody different. So wow. he he was just that much of just like a creative genius and just a a fun troll type. And he, the thing is, with him having that personality, it's almost uh, hard to realize that he was a very talented musician to go along with that because you just see him as that kind of character and caricature type. But as far as a producer, he was a full on like piano player. So all the songs that you hear from Digital Underground, like Freaks of the Industry, um, Oregano Flow. And then he produced so much stuff. So he produced, like, people don't realize, they probably know he he produced um, I Get Around for Tupac, of course. And right. even on there, it's one of those songs, it's a, it's a hip-hop production. It sounds so 
93. But if you listen close, those chords are some straight jazz chords. Like, I've replayed those a couple times on Instagram, and he's playing some chords. You can go on YouTube and see him, like, kind of improvising on top of it. Mm-hmm. And then he produced uh, So Many Tears. The way he did So Many Tears, he produced that. He used that uh, Stevie Wonder, that um, the harmonica sample in there. Like, that was just, that was genius. The That Girl sample, he produced for Prince. He did a song on Prince's Crystal Ball called the, the Love Sign Remix, and I just found that one a couple years ago, but it's, it's, it's fire to me. He did stuff for KRS, for, for Looney's, and then just his guest performances. He's on, uh, to me, the biggest 90s Bay Area song is definitely um, I Got Five on it. Still, I would say after Blood and Whistle, that's probably the second biggest yeah, bass song ever. Yeah. And he's on there. He has that third verse on there, and he's on We're, uh, We're All in the Same Gang, the West Coast All-Stars track, so... He had so many, so many songs that he was a part of, and just he was just a huge factor for for hip hop period, and not just the West. And I would say he was definitely unsung as a as a producer and as an artist overall. And Digital Underground, their shows like them coming from the Bay Area as a whole, they emulated that whole Parliament type of style, that kind of sliding the Family Stone. So they were kind of like a modern day hip hop funk type of band in a way. Mm-hmm. So it's. It's one of those things I think he, he definitely needs to get. Um, I wish he had got even more flowers before he passed, but I think everyone who knew, like they they always put him up there as far as being a, being a legend. And even with Tupac, I mean, we wouldn't have Tupac if it wasn't for Digital Underground. So True. it's hilarious knowing that Tupac was really a dancer and dancing in the Humpty Dance video. Like mm-hmm. It's crazy knowing that he went from that to hit him up. Like, But that's what it was. And, and Shock was one of the ones who always tried to keep Pac grounded. If you even watch the movies or watch the documentaries, he was the one who always said, like, he didn't like the fact that Pac was hanging around these, you know, the death row types, because that wasn't really who Pac was. And he knew that Pac was really a, a kind of a lost soul at, at that point. Jail kind of messed him up. But mm-hmm. but Shock was just that balance that he had, that whenever he was with Shock, he would just act a lot more chill. He he wouldn't be acting out the same way. So I was even wondering, because they there was rumors about it possibly being a Tupac and Biggie, like, versus, which to me is not smart, but they're saying that if they did it, it would probably be Diddy representing Biggie, but I was like, for for uh, Pac, I'm like, it shouldn't be Dre, it shouldn't be Snoop, it should be Shock G, because Shock G was the one who really knew him the most and was there from the beginning. So even knowing that, even even though it probably wouldn't have happened, just I felt that Shock was the one when it came to Tupac interviews, he had the best insight on him, and he was just a crazy music kid. It's an interview where I forget what what it's called, the art of rap or something like that. He's talking about how Biggie and Tupac rap differently. He was like Biggie had that kind of jazz cadence like you can tell right. he grew up listening to jazz artists and he was like pot rap from his stomach and he sounded just like how mlk and how um how the panthers spoke and he would emulate that and just him describing that i'm like he really is a, a complete like a complete like student of the game so oh yeah he's he's definitely a student of music like just um listening to some of his interviews and the way that he speaks about music like it's with such passion yeah. that you can tell this man lives it and I yeah. really hate that he passed before, like, he got more flowers, especially for being a producer. Um, yeah. Like, just for, like, I get around, you know, when <laughs> Nicole Ray used that and sang over it. That's true. And I was just like, yo, okay, this, you could you could have produ- produced a lot of R&B artists. And, That's true. And made yeah. a career out of it. It could have been a whole lane for that. But, I mean, he gave us his talents. And, I mean, Humpty. I mean, he was in that that uh, Chevy Chase movie, that Nothing But Trouble. Like, wow, he was. Yeah, the character yeah. was so big. They put him in this major <laughs> film release. It was like okay, That's true. and I saw yeah. the same thing. People didn't know that they were the same person for for a while, and I was like, well, 
okay, I don't know if I ever knew that. Like, I don't even remember even thinking that they could be different people. But yeah, when I, when, yeah. as I saw people, you know, tweeting like, yo, they were the same. I was like, oh, man, maybe they was like, I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> but Shock G, just yeah. like as um, as a as a rapper, he also like rapped a lot about the things that people weren't really talking about. Like he, he was big mm-hmm. on like body positivity and like it's true. Everybody it's true. love yourself no matter what, no matter what you look like, no matter where you're from. He was big on that. And I always respected him for that. Yeah, seriously, like, it's a whole article about that. How he was, as much as he was like joking and trolling on Humpy Dance, like the stuff he's saying is actually, if you listen close, yeah, like you listen to the he's lyrics, he's saying some positive stuff. Yeah, yeah like yeah, I called you fat, look at me, I'm skinny, but it's like he's letting you know I don't care. I like don't, yeah, yeah, I'm like you so shouldn't that's, care either. Exactly. So yeah, salute to Shock G, rest in peace. Uh, which that, that was a hard loss right there, but we gotta uplift Very. his memory forever. So to keep it uh to keep it going, it's time to go into that fast forward segment. On the fast forward segment, we highlight some artists who are making waves. They could have been around for a couple of years, are brand new, but either way, we feel like they have a lot of potential to make even bigger waves within the industry. So for this episode, who would you like to highlight for your uh, fast forward? I am going with this Australian band, uh, Hiatus Coyote, oh, because yeah, yeah. this the sheer amount of talent that these four people have. So it's four people. Um, there's Napalm, who is the vocalist, and she also plays guitar. Paul's on bass, um, Simon's on keyboards, and Perrin is on drums, but they're from Melbourne, Australia. Um, mm. They all linked up separately, like, Napalm was doing her own thing, you know, solo. Oh, wow. Paul was doing his own thing solo, and, you know, they came together. But their first album was released in 2012 called Talk Tomahawk. And the song from there that most people know is Nakamura. And that's the first yeah, song I heard yeah. by them. And it made me be like, oh, who is this? I didn't know it was a band at the time. I was just like, who is this girl? Because her tone is crazy. And it just feels like, you know, what the industry probably would label as Neo Soul. It just feels good. Um, yeah. You know, they opened for um, Bobby McFerrin's son, Taylor, in Australia. And that's when they gained, like, attention from celebrities i remember badu quest love and prince were all tweeting like y'all gotta get into this band like wow. listen to these wow. people um after they released their first album they met salam remy who of course is a super super producer now but he was just an a and r exec at sony at the time who was just starting his own label flying buddha and he signed them as his first act to his label and they went back they added q-tip to nakamara and yeah, the song yeah. was nominated for um, the best R&B performance in 2014, which was big because they were the first ever Australian band or artist, period, to be nominated for a Grammy in R&B. Like, that was unheard of at the time. But they lost, sadly, to, uh, well, I guess it depends on which one you like better, um, Snarky Puppy with uh, Layla Hathaway, that song, Something. They they lost mm, to okay, that. Okay. Um, it's Layla, so yeah. Yeah, it's Layla, yeah. so I couldn't Can't get mad. mad. I mean, mad. I couldn't get mad. And I actually liked Nakamura before Q-Tip was added, so I heard it before he was added. So it yeah. was like, okay. But um, after that, they released their second album in 2015 called Choose Your Weapon. And um, that song, Breathing Underwater, was nominated again for the best R&B performance. And that loss to The Weeknd's uh, Earned It, I think, the song from the Fifty Shades of Grey, Okay. Which okay, is like, yeah. okay, you know, um, that's a terrible song. But, you know. Yeah, you know how we feel about, about the Yeah, weekend. you know how, yeah, you know yeah, how we do. You know. But, yeah, you know, <laughs> so, it, but it worked out for them because after that, 
they started getting sampled like crazy. Like um, Kendrick was sampling them, um, Anderson Pop, Drake, Jay Z, and Beyonce. They were all they were like people were like just going for it, like going through their catalog. Like oh, I like this. I'm gonna sample it. Um, so they all have released music independently as well since their debut as a group. Some people released them under aliases. Napalm did it under her name. Uh, I think Paul did his under uh, his name as well. But they're still working. Their new single actually just dropped uh, today, and it's called Red Room. And it's um, from their forthcoming album out in June called Mood Valiant. Um, they are they are an amazing band. Like I said, Napalm's tone is crazy. Um, just like as instrumentalists, though, like you can tell they're all very talented. And I, I've watched a couple of videos where they all speak about their influences and they're just influenced by everything crazy, like Afro beats and Curtis Mayfield. And like, it just yeah, it's just like all over the place, which is it gives them this crazy ear and they release great music. So I definitely want people to check out um, check out Hiatus Coyote and their new album, like I said, in June called Move Valiant. The first single is out right now. It's called Red Room. Go check it out. Definitely, yeah, because with them, they're the type of group that I can see why so many legends love them and also why so many hip-hop artists sample them because they they have a very, like, forward-moving sound. It's where yeah. you hear those influences a lot, but at the same time, it's where they... It sounds like something you haven't heard before. They put it, they put it together in such a different gumbo, and it's like the way it comes out is always... That futuristic type Man. sound. It's not like, because like I said, it's it's neo-soulish. It's what they would label as neo-soul. But it doesn't sound like yeah. they're trying for that, like they're dated. Like yeah, They exactly. actually like intentionally, you know, experiment with different genres and play around. And it just works yeah. out for them. It's like a very organic sound. Something that I think a lot of R&B is missing. Yeah, for sure. I definitely salute to them. Um, my favorite song from them recently is probably the one with Faith. I think it's called Peace of Mind. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. song is just, some, just the groove like they, right they there. They work yeah. with like these these black music legends. Like, it's like yeah. they, keep, they keep getting co-signed. And, it's and like, it yeah. fits perfectly. Like when you hear it, it's like you see why, why they rock with them. I, yeah. I, I haven't heard Faith sound that good in, in a minute too. Faith ain't she heard sounded. Faith sound that good in a minute. So I get it. No, <laughs> seriously. it's real. It's real. Yeah. Seriously. So yeah, I definitely rock with Hiatus Coyote. So my pick for this week is actually going to be Jameson. His hey. name is spelled J-M-S-N. And he is, I mean, I guess if you want to say he is kind of a modern Bobby Caldwell, if you want to say something like that. I mean, typical kind of blue-eyed soul. So I would say the, the closest person I would say he reminds me of is probably Mayor Hawthorne. They're both from Michigan area, like not maybe not Detroit City, but close enough to Detroit. So mm -hmm. uh, James has been around for a while. He came out really in the mid-2000s he was making music, but he started to kind of get his, his strides going around like 2010, 11. I know that... One of his songs was used for a soundtrack. And even about 10 years ago, I remember Usher saying that that was his favorite new artist. And that's that's when like Usher was always in, in the media and getting interviews. So that was a, a huge cosign. And around that time, he actually produced some stuff for Ab Soul. They have a uh, collaboration album. And I think the first project I remember him dropping in was called Priscilla. So the Priscilla album, it was a little bit more experimental than it was like soulful. It was, it was similar to like what Weekend was doing at that time. So. Right. And even even though we just talked about weekend, it was before he went full on like overly, you know, extra. Before out. he got to Saturday, it was like when he was yeah. still on Friday. Yeah, it was still Friday afternoon, so it was still right. that. It was decent enough, so it kind of <laughs> had that had that sound to it. But to me, I really got like even though I always knew who he was, I didn't really truly get into him probably until his Velvet project. So he had a project called um, 
Whatever Makes You Happy. That might have been about four years ago, and it was one of those albums that was kind of, if you want to say it was similar to how Bruno was making kind of like the 70s style, but it wasn't really there yet. Like, mm-hmm. you see where it's going, but it's not, nothing really grabbed me a whole lot until the last song on that album that was called Patiently. Mm-hmm. I got to that song and said, okay, this is this is a groove. I, I rock with this. But then when Velvet came out, I can't even remember. Actually, I do remember why why I checked it out, because I was at a bar, um, a bar over by LAX, and I heard a song in the background that was just a straight 70s type song. So I'm like, this must be something I never heard before. So I shazammed it, and it was called um, So Badly, and it was Jameson. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know Jameson. So, okay, let me let me hear the whole album. And that Velvet album from a couple years ago, that first song grabbed me. When I heard Levy, I'm like, what is what is going on? Like, that groove is just different. It had that straight just 70s, like maybe some average white band or some, or some slide, whatever you want to call it. It was... The way his songs progress is just crazy, too, because it, it'll build up for a whole minute. You don't know where it's going, then the drums come in, and it's, oh, there we go, there we go. So, <laughs> like, that whole album to me is fire. He has a song called Got to Be Erotic, and of course, Got to Be Erotic is a nod to Prince with Erotic City, but it sounds just like it's the same type of vibe as, like, a, If I Was Your Girlfriend type song, kind of a mid-tempo Prince track, and you can tell it's, it's a direct Prince-like uh, imitation, but it's it's fire. I feel like Prince himself could not even knock that one. And he has a song called um, Talk is Cheap on there, too. And the same type of vibe. It has that straight up, like, I don't know why. Whenever I hear the song, I feel like I'm just seeing smoke in front of me. I'm seeing smoke and just, like, different colors. Like, I'm walking through a a, a straight disco era club, but it's not, it's not popping yet. It's like the night just opened up. Everybody's smoking cigarettes, and somebody in the corner is doing something worse than that. But it... It definitely gives me that feeling, and I feel like if if he can start getting some more like breakthroughs, he might be next up at that level. Because I enjoyed everything from that whole album. Like it, the whole album just feels like, even though it has a straight vintage sound, it it's authentic. It, it doesn't feel like he's like trying to imitate that era and right. feeling. Like it, it actually it, it feels authentic to me. So I'm definitely looking forward to what Jameson has coming up. But I'm sure you're familiar with him too. I'm not yeah, sure all about him. Which is crazy because we were at Brooklyn Bowl. Some friends of of mine. And we were bowling, and um, there was a show starting. I forget, I forget who the headliner was, but he was opening. Mm-hmm. I think this is like two set, oh, wow. 2017, maybe 2018. But um, hmm. he was so good. Like we we stopped bowling, and it's expensive <laughs> to bowl at Brooklyn. It bowl, cost so, a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, so it, we yeah. was like it, he was that good that we were like, oh, who is this? Who is this guy? First of all, the voice did not match when we turned around and looked at you the saw stage. Him. It was That's like. True. Mm, that that's not right that's where's that coming from but it was like oh okay this white dude is like singing and it's like his voice yeah. is so textured that it yeah, sounds that like to it it yeah. sounds like he just been gargling with gravel or something and then he just like all right now i'm gonna <laughs> sing this song it just sounds so good and i've been a fan yeah. since then um and i wish i remembered the first song that he sang and i don't I, maybe it was drinking or something but okay. just hearing yeah. it or hearing his voice I was just like, yo, this is blowing me away. And then when I went home and checked out the actual projects, I was like, okay, like you said, his first album, you saw where it was headed, but it it, it was a little different than by 2017, 2018, like by where yeah. he was then. But um, I still listened to it and I was like, okay, yeah, he's talented. Um, I'm curious to see what he's going to do next. Like, like hmm. is he going to continue on that path with like that 70s feel or is he going to like update it? And if he updates it, like, I don't know. It might be trickier for him because, like, it's true. Yeah, his voice just fits so well during that seven. It it's sounds made, like he was yeah. born like 
like in the fifties and was like 50s, adult yeah. in yeah. the seventies. But it's crazy. I love it. Exactly. Yeah, I feel like his voice is, it has that kind of like that falsetto that just has to fit on top of a a groove like that. I can't even yeah. see him trying to make modern modern music. It might be seventies, yeah. eighties with the twist of some modern drums, maybe. But right, I feel like it's made for that era to me. So yeah, either way, I'm definitely tuned in to him. So. Yeah, so once again, salute to Hiatus, Coyote, and Jameson. And to everybody who we've mentioned so far, we also have a we have a um, Behind the Wheels playlist for you all. So the official playlist is on Spotify. It'll be in the link to the show notes. So at this time, we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about something that I think all my uh, music heads can relate to, especially if you're 30 and up. Even if you're 25 and up, you might relate to it. But I feel like it's one of those topics that we talk about all the time, and we've been hearing it since we were kids in a way so we're gonna get to that and we're also gonna have our beat match taking some of our favorite albums from the 80s so at this time go ahead and grab a drink whatever it is some water some champagne we're gonna toast up and we'll be back in a minute While we're on break, I want to thank you all for listening and being tuned in with us. Uh, please make sure to uh, always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It always helps other people find our show, so it's always appreciated. We did have a review um, a couple of days ago from Big Ray Lay. So, Big Ray Lay, what's good with you? The, uh, the review says, wow, five stars, great music analysis, entertaining pod. Keep up the great work. So, I appreciate you for being tuned in. And for everybody else who's listening, we appreciate you all. So, go ahead and give us that review. All right, welcome back to Behind the Wheels. So it is that time for our segment called The Drop. Um, I'm just going to jump right into it. And I'm going to ask EB. EB, has music gotten worse or are we just old now? (laughs) (laughs) It's a little of both because some of us are old for real. But I don't think so. I mean, we've had, um, this will be 14 episodes of this podcast. And every episode we highlight two new and up coming artists or bands or groups or whatever so that's 28 people that we've already like introduced people to like quality music i think on a commercial level um there has been a decline because everybody is trying to sell like we and and it's Mm -hmm. not the first time we literally see it every era like in the 60s when barry gordy came up with uh motown you saw everybody scrambling for the motown sound in the 70s when philadelphia international records was popping everybody wanted that organic sound and the strings in the 80s you know kashif came in and everybody wanted you know that production like the big band production and everything and then the 90s mary dropped what's the 411 and everybody wanted to do hip-hop soul like it's one of those things where the industry kind of shifts. I think a lot of times we view music through this lens of nostalgia that, yeah. you know, we, we remember being or where we were when we heard certain songs, certain albums, and we remember being able to listen to different artists and hear differences. Like, you couldn't listen to a DMX song and mistake it for Mace, or you couldn't listen to a Mary J. Blige song and mistake her for like Anita Baker. Like it was, there was room for everybody. I feel like now, although we still have a great variety, if you only listen to the radio or top 40, you're going to hear the same thing over and over versus back then when it was mixed, like, you know, a Brandy would come on 
and right after on the same station it could be a Vesta or somebody and it's like all right you know there's a variety there that we're missing today in terms of that and that was when radio was what we actually listened to like all the time now you know things are streaming yeah and even that like the algorithms push out the same music they push out the stuff that sounds like what's popular and and it can make a make us think that yeah music is not as good but i promise i don't i don't think there's a a decline in quality music i think it's just a decline on a commercial level and what is visible like the faces of hip-hop or the faces of r&b are not as diversified as they were in the past i definitely rock with that i feel like it's a very very complex thing and it's something that like i think as you said, it happens in every generation. I think it's always a sound that everyone goes to, and there's always someone who's, who opposes to it, who, yeah. who opposes that sound. So as much as everyone just looks at as the 60s Motown as being the classic era, my dad, was, was he was a straight jazz head, still is, mm-hmm. and he never liked the Motown sound, and he said that most of his jazz friends saw that as being watered down and commercial, and I yeah. joked around and called that shiny suit music of the 60s, because if you grew up and you, you were listening to Coltrane and Miles and... And, and Herbie and everybody else, it's like, that was, the, the textures on that was just so musical and, and complicated and advanced that, that you compare that to Motown. Motown was very basic. It was a very yeah. simple structure. It was two and a half minute songs. It was a basic melody because a lot of times jazz heads will even joke and say, like, uh, they'll play a fusion song for you and say, you can't hum that back. But Motown, you can hum it back because it's that basic and simple. But it's mm-hmm. like, that's what appeals. So it's where every era does have music that is seen as, being commercial and trendy and everything, and it's where uh, most of us who are in our 30s, 40s grew up really in that in that 90s era. And I look at the 90s in a couple different ways. It's where when it comes to the 90s, most people who are in our age bracket, even 20s, late 20s, will say the 90s had the best hip hop for sure, and a lot said the best R and B. Me mm-hmm. and you don't agree as far as R and B. Me and you will right. say 70s, 80s, but a lot of folks, even if we don't say it's the best decade, we loved a lot of 90s R&B. Yeah. But then when you're in the 90s, I, I look back and remember how many of the elders, our parents and grandparents who did not like anything 90s R&B. They nope. felt like, like who was this Mary J. Blige girl? She can't mm-hmm. sing. She messing yep. up Curtis Mayfield's song with yep. this. And <laughs> she messing up Roy Ayer's song. And they, they ain't like hip-hop, period. That was where a lot of old, older folks just didn't like hip-hop. It's like... The same way that Aerie Spears will make fun of the triplet cadence, as we mentioned in a previous episode, the, the 90s version of that was a hippie, hippie, hop, hop. You used to right. always hear older <laughs> folks imitate hip-hop by saying that. So they didn't think they ain't like any hip-hop at all. They, they might like a heavy D here and there. They might like certain artists or, or you know, whatever it was. But even like MC Hammer, you can't touch this. It was like all he did was steal Rick James' song and he's talking over it. He's not yep. adding anything. He's not being creative. So it's like... I feel like every generation definitely goes to that period where once you hit a certain age point, you're just not as open to new music. And when it comes to that, like for our generation, I have friends who I always call them out because like me being a DJ, I have to know what's hottest, what's newest. And even on Twitch, I'm always mixing up playing old school, new school stuff. And whenever Mm -hmm. I go new school, all my 30, 35 and up, uh, it's certain stuff they do like. They'll like certain, like when it comes to hip hop, they do like certain artists, even if it's Cardi, Meg and... Some of the commercial stuff, R&B, they, they're like a her, Chloe, and Halle. But it would be certain certain rappers where it's like, like it, it could be from Detroit, from the Bay, whatever. And they'll say, all they talk about is murdering people and shooting people and sex. I'm yeah. like, that's all we grew up on in the 90s. It's just exactly. That, it's like, I think when you get to a certain point, your tolerance changes. So it's like, I've heard people complain about 
about songs being too vulgar. And I've even DJ parties with, with an older crowd where I'll play like, I remember back in maybe 2009, I played a song, um, Two Straight has a song called Gangsters and Strippers. And he's saying, gotta get a B and get my DS. And I remember the whole crowd kind of looking at me weird, like this is just too vulgar for us. So I changed it. But an hour later, I put on Ain't No Fun. And they singing, you know what Ain't they No were, Fun says. Yeah, they so was going up. I feel like it's just maybe at a certain age point, your tolerance just kind of kind of does change. So it's that's a big part. Um, along with that, I would say that one thing I can say, so even looking looking back at that, you mentioned how we, we mentioned two new artists each and every episode. Yeah, I will say something that's kind of that, that I realized just before this episode is that mm-hmm. most of them have somewhat of a vintage sound. They yeah. have something about them that reminds us of what we grew of up on, what we grew up on, or what we exactly. like. Yep. And that makes me wonder too: is like, is it whenever we do, when you get to a certain age, when you do like new music, do you only like it because it reminds you of what was from the past? Because like right now, the biggest overall song mm. in the country is technically "Leave the Door Open." That's Bruno right. and Anderson. We mentioned that. But that's a straight Smokey Robinson 1971 type song. Right. So it's like everybody's parents love that song, but it's because it sounds like that era. So it makes me wonder, is it possible for a brand new R&B song that sounds like it's 2021 all the way around from the drums, the chords, the arrangements? Is it possible for a new R&B song to have that type of impact today? And for hip hop, it's similar. I feel like a lot of hip hop songs, it's a mixture. But whenever people who are in their 30s like hip hop, like even with the newer artists who we do like, like, I love a YBN Cordae, or even, I mean, J. Cole and Kendrick are basically our age, so it's different, but even with right. that, it's a generation uh, gap with that. It's where the 30 and up love the J. Coles and the Kendricks and halfway Drake. The young folks love Drake, because Drake is always kind of leaning toward whatever is hot and trendy, but right. when it comes to the Polo G type rappers, or like Lil Baby, some 30 and up do rock with them, but overall, a lot of these new artists, it feels like... It's more so for the younger 20s and the 30 and up. Just see them as like, that's that new stuff. That's just another rapper with the word little in front of them. So. Yeah, you know, you brought up a good point because I never thought about it in that way that every artist that we've mentioned or the people that we tend to gravitate toward to who are newer, it's because yeah. their sound reminds us. Like we compare, not compare, but, you know, we always have to be like, oh, you, this sounds like something that could have been yeah. made in the 80s or the 70s. That's something I never thought about, but I think it's true. And I think the older we get, that we kind of search for that sound. And it mm. might not be intentional. It could be yeah. unintentional. It's just like, that's just the way our mind works. It's because we, Yeah, it's like we, we love certain eras of music and we love certain sounds. I do think it's possible for um, something that doesn't remind us or something that we've never heard for us to like. But I think it will take the right person to do it. Mm. I think that's that's also a key in it, um in our in our into our, like our taste in music is who is doing it and f- I know for me I connect to artists based on what I feel is like sincere and if I feel any type of vulnerability in your music so if the right artist you know experimented with the sound that maybe not based on 70s R&B or chord progression or you know then I I'd probably be like oh okay you know I can get into this it might change mm you know, my mind a little bit, but I think overall, I don't think there's a decline in music. I think that we're older and our ears are a bit more refined. I'm sure the people, the Gen Zers now in 10, 20, 30 years will also be having the conversation about, you know, in my day, music was good. And, (laughs) and, And the crazy thing about that is because a lot of in their day is technically in our day because things are sampled from 
our yeah, time, just like the yeah. music that we say, like you, the '90s, like in our day. Technically, that's from the '70s because that's <laughs> the samples that were taken over. So we're always like yeah, yeah. two decades behind, um, just sonically, which is another thing that people don't really think about. Like, the, yes, our tastes are informed by when we were children or when we grew up or the prime of our lives or whatever, but. It, most of that since in our lifetime has been samples and yeah from when before we were born so it's it's kind of tricky there it is and it's one thing i also uh, realize is that like what we do that people don't really we might not really um call it out but every generation cherry picks the best music from their era yeah so what that means is that as much as somebody from the 70s is going to tell you that in our day we had smoky al green <laughs> this this and that <laughs> There was a lot of whack artists in the 70s, and yeah, when it comes indeed, to the yeah. 90s, the 90s, it's so many songs that were trash in the 90s, hip-hop, not as many R&B songs that were big, but there was still some stuff that was actual mm-hmm. whack trash then, and yeah. even, and it's funny because I'll say that I was definitely wrong back in the mid, late 2000s when the whole Soulja Boy era came. I'll be real, even Boozy, Webby, I didn't really care for that that sound. Like I felt like a lot of that was trash, and I used to kind of get annoyed that the clubs just used to love all that boozy and I mean even crunk era like I didn't really love a lot of those crunk songs wow. I, I liked the energy to it but I didn't right. really want to hear it in the club the whole night but it was like because some of that stuff it can, it can get kind of repetitive it was kind of the same yeah. chance over and over but it's where I remember saying back then like like they love this stuff today but they ain't gonna like it in 10-15 years but they still do and because I think when you look when you grow up on certain sounds it's like even if it's seen as whack in that moment, once you grow up and get older, you still do like that that, that nostalgic sound. So yeah, like in the '90s, I would say when it comes to late '90s, it's where, of course, everybody's is yeah '90s this this and that. I remember being on those message boards back in the late '90s, and it was a huge divide between for one when the South came up, the East Coast folks, a lot of them hated all the they no limit hate. stuff. Yep. They hated anything in Master P for sure. Mm-hmm. They halfway liked Mystical. And then when Cash Money came, it took them a while to even appreciate them. And even, I mean, 3-6 Mafia, all that. They didn't really care for 3-6 back in the 90s. But now every artist is sampling 3-6 no matter where they come from. And even early mm-hmm. 2000s was the same thing. It's where a lot of stuff was. Like, it was seen as trash. And even Diddy. Like, a lot of the, the whole backpackers, the underground head, they hated Puff Daddy and Bad Boy yeah. in the late 90s. Like, we mentioned how DMX kind of came in. Brought, brought back that kind of grittiness because it was all shiny suit music and jiggy. That mm-hmm. jiggy era, those underground boom bap, even the folks who love Illmatic and Ready to Die, a lot of them didn't like... I, I know people who who don't like anything about what Diddy did with Biggie. I, I've seen folks argue that they, they didn't like the fact that, that Diddy made Biggie do a Juicy and they are like, Pete Rock Juicy is better than the one that came out as a single because they, they didn't like anything commercial. So it's, it's always funny how people do cherry pick these eras and say, all right, so... The whole 90s was, was, was this this much great music. So the same thing's going to happen, yeah. I think, because a lot of stuff, I'll say the 2010s and now it's 2020-something, it's been enough good music to where in 10, 20 years, you can look back and say, yeah, back in my era, 2010s, we had J. Cole, Drake ran the whole era, we had Chloe and Halle, we had uh, Ari <laughs> Lennox came out, we had LMA boot up, but there was a yep. lot of stuff that, that they, they're not going to mention back, uh, if you know, from that era, too. No, they're not going to say anything. I One of my friends, uh, one of my best friends uh, is a rapper who um, was like really big in the late 90s and early 2000s. And mm-hmm. we were talking a couple of weeks ago um, just about like when the South started to come up. And I, I didn't yeah. even know. She was like, oh, no, we hated all that shit. She was like, we yeah. didn't like it. She was like, I, I had to go on tour with some of these people. And I was just like, I don't understand your music. It's not for me. But that mm-hmm. that's something that was happening that we don't talk about. We don't really 
think about the artists that you know weren't getting that radio play or weren't like making it back then like i mean yeah. the b-list and the c-list artists like we definitely cherry pick like the best of the best and be like oh yeah you know the whole 90s look like this well nah, the whole 90s don't look like that like yeah, at all yeah. like they i mean remember that uh that group cleopatra the cleopatra, uh, yeah it's like that that wasn't really good but <laughs> if you ask me now i'd be like That's but funny. that was music you know that was good yeah. like the girls had the braids i was like they look yeah. like little girls like they're all dark skin and everything yeah, yeah i was like that's how i like they're us. but now it's like oh i'm looking back i'm like no that was terrible and i can't believe like people was singing it and the video was playing on bet it was it was trash but it <laughs> was funny. our trash that's the difference that's it was good trash it was ours so in 10 20 30 yeah. years the kids now will be like it was trash, but it was our trash. Like yeah, I'm, I'm sure yeah. they're gonna name some people who aren't as uh, popular or who aren't as big, but yeah, yeah. they're gonna remember their trash and and hold it up and be like, no, but we got we had the good yeah. trash. Y'all got that. Yeah, our, our trash. Our trash was different because people say that too. Like even even whenever we do call out stuff in the past, they're like, well, it was fun or it was right. It was this and that. <laughs> they have an excuse for it because I mean and we was just having yeah. fun. Okay, well, yeah. I mean, they, some of them are having fun now. But their fun is just different than our fun was. And our fun is yeah. different than the generation before us. And I think that's where it is. It's like whatever generation you grow up in, of course, you're going to gravitate towards that because that's what you've heard. I think there are people mm -hmm. like you and I who don't necessarily gravitate towards the generation we grew up in on like in every genre. Like, yeah, we, sure, we go back sure. and be like, well, you know, I liked R&B from this period better. Hip hop, I think we pretty much agree that 90s was like it. But hip hop was still such a young genre that yeah, it was like. You know, they was only like 20 years in by the 90s. So it was, it's kind of yeah. hard to be like, you know, when they were brand new, the 70s or the 80s was like the best era of hip hop because it was like, no, that's like somebody saying, yeah, the best era of R&B was the 1940s. And you're like, OK, yeah. name me five songs that came out in the 40s yeah. or 50s. And Billy, they're like, Billy well, Eckstein or something. Right. It's like, well, I don't know. It's like, yeah, that's what I'm, yeah. that's the point. Like the genre was still yeah. new. I mean, I, I'm ready for some new subgenres to pop up. I will say that. I agree. And I think, I, yeah. Because I think right now everybody's still dependent like heavily on the past for their sound. So I want to mm -hmm. see if they can be a bit more progressive than we were. Because even in the 90s, we really depended on the 70s for yeah, yeah. the sound of hip-hop and, and R&B as well. I want to see if they can change that and do that and take that in another direction. Overall, I don't think the music is worse. I think, or worse, I think we... Sometimes I have to search a bit more for it than I would have yeah. back then. But that's because I'm not in the streets. I'm not, you know, that age, like, where I, where it's just coming to me. So. Absorbing everything. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lot of different factors. And, I, and I mean, it, also, it's about rap and R&B, which are still separate. We always kind of conflate them, but it's still yeah. separate. And, I mean, I would say that hip-hop is still, it's still been a lot of quality hip-hop. And, as you said, it just hasn't been commercial. When it comes mm -hmm. to R&B, I feel like we've discussed it before, but I think that R&B as a whole, I don't like saying it's declined, but it has. I mean, because it's... Certain elements I can point out there are basically like without being biased. Like there's no more groups. There's really yeah. no groups. And I mean groups in R&B were around from the Temptations and Fort Tops all the way up to yeah. Jagged Edge. And then after that, that was basically it. Day 26 might be the last R&B group. And that's it's kind of hard even seeing it yeah. that way. And, and I mean songwriting yeah. has changed too. Like they don't even put yeah. bridges in songs no more. Yeah, there's no bridges. It's crazy. no build-ups. It's no build-ups. It's like the song doesn't go anywhere and it's like it's mm -hmm. just like this mellow vibe throughout the whole thing. And it's like, but don't you ever want more? Like that's cool. But even Sade yeah. put a bridge in her song and built up and she's the queen yeah. of a mellow vibe. Like yeah. you, you, there's something that you gotta add to it. I think 
the songwriters got to change. The producers got to change a bit. But actually, the vocalists, I think the vocalists are okay when, once they stop all trying to be the same person. Like, yeah. there's been so many artists that I've seen or I've heard their songs, and I'm like, oh, no, that sounds like trash. Every It sounds like I can't even tell who it is. But then you see these mm-hmm. old YouTube performances from them, and you're like, oh, yeah. you can really sing. You can actually sing. But yeah. the, like, you have to change for the industry. And I'm like, uh, I'm, I wonder how much yeah. of that happened when we, like in the 70s and 80s and the 90s, like how much of that was happening where people were like, I'm going to change up my sound so I can fit in with everybody else. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it definitely happened. And I mean, yeah. the thing is, like, every generation is, has been different where – even the sound of music kind of kind of goes along with how they sing because the the 80s was known for ballads so yeah. you had to sing the early 90s was known for over singing it was that super church influence where yeah. you had to sing even if you couldn't sing that good you're going to mm-hmm. try it and people would, <laughs> people would, would still feel it they'll say they can't sing that good but they we can still feel it cuz we can feel their passion but it's yeah. like the sound of production now is not even really made to be conducive to even singing on, so yeah, no, it's a lot of it's a lot of different factors like that. We've talked about the church influence before, of course. You yeah. know that that's a big thing. So I do think it's a lot of things that do make it hard for us to gravitate toward it. But yeah, overall, we have, like you said, there's still a lot, a lot of different, a lot of good quality music is out there. It's just that we do have to search harder for it. You can't just rely on radio and Don't what's in the club. Yeah, so. That's just the way I feel. Um, if you all feel different, let us know. Hit that hashtag up behind the wheels pod and let us know what you feel about it. And I think it's about that time. Speaking of you know throwback music and stuff that we grew up on, uh, so me and Eb were talking about you know some of our favorite albums from the the mid late '80s. And I think for this this beat match, I think we found another one that we luckily we don't agree on. We so that means we can on. actually, because like we always say, it's it's tough, but. This one here, I almost felt like you sure, you sure. So, uh, yeah, okay, yeah. okay, yeah, that's how I see it. So, we're gonna do it like this. Uh, this beat match today is gonna be us. Basically, what, what happens every episode, we have a beat match. We, we pick two different sides, it could be two artists, two decades, two albums, whatever it is. And we basically, me and, e, me, me and EB take sides, and we have our producers, Melissa and the lady, they actually judge us and tell us who you know who comes up with the victory for that episode. So, for today's beat match, give me some horns, some bells, explosions, whatever. We're going to do Key Sweat, Make It Last Forever album versus Bobby Brown, Don't Be Cruel album. Yeah. And EB, let them know which one you riding with. Make It Last Forever. I had to go with <sighs> that classic Keith Sweat. That's 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 the one for me. All right, all right. I mean... Look, I, I love it. I love I love parts of it, but you know, we going <laughs> we going to get into it. So, as my guest, um I'll go ahead and let you speak. Each of us have 3 minutes to speak, you know, speak our mind on the album. We have two rebuttals and then we'll let Melissa and the lady go ahead and give us their, you know, what what the judge and jury thinks about it. So, EB as my co-host, go ahead and let them know why would you pick Make It Last Forever over Don't Be Cruel? I think the influence of Make It Last Forever is one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons why I think it's overall a better album. It was, of course, Keith Sweat's debut album, and it was perfect in my eyes. I love every song on there, and I I just can't say the same for Don't Be Cruel. As soon as the album starts, just that synth intro to something just ain't right, it was like, oh, that's how you start an album off? Cool. All right. Of course, it's produced by Keith Sweat and Teddy Riley. What people don't know is Teddy Riley was not an R&B producer at the time. Like, this was new for him. And 
for him to do it, actually. He turned Keith down, like, twice. He was just like, I'm not an R&B producer, but Keith really wanted to work with him because they knew each other from the neighborhood. They're both from Harlem. When the album starts, like I said, that synth intro to Something Just Ain't Right, and it sounds young and fun and fresh. It's It literally sounds like something that, you know, a teenager in 1987 would be listening to and would love. My favorite song on there, of course, is the legendary uh, title track, Make It Last Forever, because you get this duet that, by you know my standards, is still considered one of the greatest R&B duets of all time, not just from the 80s. Like that is, That's an R&B standard. Keith and Teddy, like I said, they produced this album, wrote it alone. Teddy will tell the story that Keith was coming up with these songs like as he's singing them, like make it last forever, like just singing it. Now, the only thing about the album that is kind of, you know, Keith's nasally uh, tone, Teddy actually convinced him to do that because Keith wasn't going to do it. I think in total for the album, they recorded 17 songs and of the 17, only eight made it. And one of the songs they threw away was Johnny Kemp's Just Got uh, Paid. And if that was a throwaway, which became a classic, then you can only imagine the other songs on there that would be like bangers today. Um, of course, there's like Don't Stop Your Love and songs like uh, How Deep Is Your Love and uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. How Deep Is Your Love and Right in the Wrong Way. Those were not even singles, but they were so hot that they garnered all this radio play and they became Quiet Storm classics. That's like something that was unheard of. They were burning up the charts. The album overall is just uh, more is more innovative than Bobby's. And keep in mind, Make It Last Forever was Keith's first album. It was his debut. And every song on there was a hit. It was something that the radio, if radio wasn't playing it, then it was like everywhere. Like you could not, you got a skating rink, a shopping mall, and you would hear the song. Bobby was big, but it was also Bobby's sophomore album. And I'm, it's like, okay, well, nope, name me four songs from your debut. I hear you. I hear you. So, I mean, much respect to Keith. I mean, everybody knows I'm Team Teddy. I'm always Team Teddy when it comes yeah. to produ- producers. Um, here's my thing about it. So, as far as it's talking about Don't Be Cruel, it was Bobby's second album, but Bobby was super, super young at the time. So, it was still, it probably felt like, it. Ain't, I, I can't say it felt like a debut, but it was really his, the, the, at that time, that's where he really made that huge impact. And he became... Like one of the biggest artists in the whole world. He was almost like the young folks MJ at that time. And he he was a new age type of artist who was one of the very first to be innovative and be like a kind of having that bad boy hip hop type of image as an R&B singer. So it was where, of course, the uh, we all know about the Every Little Step, the rap he did on the video version. Like that rap is just so legendary, even if it's not the most complicated, technically advanced rap. It's so catchy that <laughs> you still love it. And it's, it's so endearing. So... The thing about Don't Be Cruel album, so for one, Teddy is on there as well, and he gave him what was like one of the biggest, second biggest songs of 1989 with My Prerogative. Mm-hmm. You still hear that song mentioned all the time. It was so big, Britney Spears, a pop artist, 20-something year, years later, remade that. And when you talk about hits on the album, he had five singles, and each one became a top 10 chart. Like everybody, I don't care how old you are, knows those five the Don't Be Cruel, of course, the, the, the title track, the My Prerogative, the, the Roni, you had the Every Little Step and Rock With You. And the thing is, he came out, it was where it was kind of that friendly competition with New Edition, them coming out, I think, the same day. And he beat a whole group that he came from on his own. 
the same day. That's how fire this was. He came from a group, and everybody who was Team Ralph and Team whatever else it was, they even got Johnny to come and give some 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 deep voice vocals, and he still beat them on his own as a solo artist. And as much as he had a bad boy uh, image, that album really shows a mature side and the production and the songwriting was so excellent. And that's where I think it gets the edge over Make It Last Forever. It makes sense that you say that, that was Keith's first album and, and that it was Teddy's first time doing R&B because Teddy was an amazing producer and he did that produ- production-wise. But we've, all, we've said it, Teddy was not the best writer when it came to songs. And when it comes to like, I'll say it, How Deep Is Your Love is probably the most influential R&B slow jam of that era because it led to everything that he did with Guy along to what the ball-headed dude did with, with the Four Times Three album, like... That song was so influential. Even the Bay Area loved it and sampled it. But that song, as far as the writing, when you listen to it, it doesn't really progress enough. It, like The bridge don't really hit as hard. The lyrics don't really, you know. And as you said, Keith's nasally sound, like, here's the thing. Bobby's not the greatest singer either, but Bobby just had an energy to him where you still roll with it. Keith, I, I don't want to hear Keith's voice the whole album. When I hear that debut album, it's kind of hard to deal with his voice the whole time. And I'm going to throw it right back to you. That's actually a very great argument. Um, again, this is Teddy Riley's first time doing doing R and B. So if if it was not for Keith Sweat and this album, we may not get like the New Jack Swing era of R and B at all. Like he had to create the formula for Bobby to go after. In terms of like songwriting, Don't Be Cruel had maybe like six writers and producers. I, I forget. Um, Make It Last Forever only had two. If you don't count the the one remake, it it just had Keith and Teddy. I think that even just like his ingenuity, like on a song like uh, How Deep Is Your Love, like that sax solo was really just played on the keys by Teddy because he could not find an actual saxophone player. So he was like, oh, OK, well, we got to we got to get get this in here. Bobby only wrote three songs on his album out of 12. Keith wrote all of his again, like a song like. Don't Stop Your Love or I Wanna, those are party grooves. And I want to hear those over my my prerogative. I do. I mean, Make It Last Forever. Again, the song is so big, you cannot deny the power of it. I think Bobby's singles performed better than Keith's. But overall, Keith's album was better. Like, I can name Keith's album singles, and then I can name album cuts. I can name one of those album cuts from Bobby Brown's album if it wasn't a single. I, I Still Love You, I Really Love You. Like, that's... That's that's the only one uh, I, I can't yeah. I can't name any of the other songs. And I think um, like Bobby was set up to succeed. You know, it was it, like you, you described it as friendly competition. No, that that <laughs> man wanted payback. He was like, <laughs> yeah. oh, OK, you know, I got to I got to come. I got to come correct because New Edition got uh, Johnny Gill. So I got to come yeah. correct with mine. And he did. But I don't think it's a better album overall, like the composition of the album. I just don't think it's better then make it last forever. I mean, I get it. And when you say that, that it was only two writers on Keith Sweats, I'm like, maybe he could have had six too. If he had six, maybe it would have been even stronger. Because I mean, the fact that, that Bobby did have Babyface and he did have Gene Griffin and he had these legends who were on there, Daryl Simmons, LA, and it shows. Because I mean, as we said, even with them having that image, Rock With You is one of just the best written songs. It's just such a seductive, smooth groove and... Having Babyface on there that many times, and it's probably some of my favorite 
babyface production because I, I've argued that in the 90s, some of his stuff got a little bit monotonous, but he still had a lot a lot more flair back then. So even just with those main party tracks, like I, I might roll with you uh, with I Want Her over my prerogative, but after that, you have Don't Be Cruel and Every Little Step. I think those two, I'd rather hear those two than any of those at this point because those two still go. I mean, the video alone, like I know we're not counting the videos, but if we did... That every little step video, I mean, that from that to even seeing Mike Tyson remake it, I mean, it was just that that fire of a of a video. So, and as far as the album cuts, I'm gonna argue and say Bobby had better ones. You might have only known the "I Really Love You, Girl," but to me, "I'll Be Good to You" was fire. The uh, "All Day All Night" had that cool like like set, like 60s, 70s kind of like boy band at the corner singing along to it type vibe, and I just think that the, the songs on there just they. They have a better progression, like even how we talk about every little step, like the way it builds up, like even with him singing the same thing. That's one thing Babyface was great at. He was great at, he'll give you the same thing, verse one and verse two, going to end the same way, but you're going to sing it way harder that second time, the same way he did with, with Tevin on Can We Talk. It's like, it's the same melody, but it's like that, it's like that, girl. It's like the way he built up with that part, like it just has higher highs to me. I feel like with Keith, it, the, the songs come in fire. Teddy was a great producer where the songs come in grooving, but then it's like the songs over, they, they don't really progress as much because Teddy was not as developed at that time just yet. So that's the way I see it. I mean, just to be real, Bobby is the king of R&B. I'm like, I'm still with me. He's the king of R&B. <laughs> I get yeah. that. But I don't think that uh, Don't Be Cruel is a better album than Make You Last Forever. Like it, it might have... Like he was, like I said, he was set up to succeed. So of course he had a huge budget. That's when you get the big videos. That's when you get these six uh, producers and you get these writers because you got the budget. Keith was like outside at the back of the Apollo, just trying to record a song. Just like, <laughs> just please play my song on the radio. And these songs were hits. Like there are people who will hear "I Want Her Now" and still go back to high school with the high top. And they got the waterfall curls on the side and maybe a little dob, like dyed blonde or whatever. And they're like, oh, no, that takes me back. Like, I remember that. I don't think people do that in the same way with Bobby Brown's album as they do Keith Sweat. And I don't think I think that both of them are loved. But I think that there's a love for that Make It Last album specifically. I mean, I hear I feel like on the flip side, like whether it's because of the movies or because Bobby got with Whitney and had, you know, he's a bigger overall, had bigger highs. But. Bobby uh, transcended uh, generations a lot more, too, because Bobby might not have had a hold on the, the urban AC, the older crowd, but anyone who was his age and younger, even kids now still know those Bobby Brown songs, and they still love them, and seeing how even when the movie came out, Bobby was so dope that Woody, who played Bobby, I've seen him him get love just for playing Bobby and, and, and re-performing those songs, so I just feel like the energy that he had on that album was unmatched. I feel like he he had a better hold on doing the fast songs, for sure, because he had three of those upbeat tracks, but even though slow jams were were at that level and he was set up to succeed, but he succeeded. We've seen a lot of albums on the flip side. I've mentioned like Tony Thompson's album had eight or nine legendary producers. He had Teddy and Babyface and it didn't do nearly the same. He came from a group the same way, but Bobby came from a group and he actually delivered. The fact that he his first album wasn't as good, but this second one came out that strong shows that he was actually, you know, they did a great job with that. So I got to rock with that uh, Don't Be Cruel. And from there... I think it's time to hand it to our producers, so we'll let Melissa and the lady go ahead and and give their piece on it. And in this case, I'm not sure if the lady has actually seen either of them in concert. She probably has. I but feel like she's seen a Bobby Brown. She I was probably about to has. say she probably yeah. seen Bobby. She probably seen some Bobby. 
We're going to see about it. But the king of, the king of uh, R&B, you heard it. You heard it here. Mind your business. <laughs> I parked next to Bobby in a parking lot. Mm. At the forum. Mm. We were both going to see Maxwell and Mary. Okay. And I'm just like, all okay. right, Bobby. Wow. Yeah. All right. right, you want to date? I want to date. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fan. Oh, God. I'm a fan. I don't think I've seen him perform, but I did see Ralph yeah. perform by himself at the Garden Museum. Another combo. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to go with Don't Be Cruel. It just, between the, the track list and the fact that I can still play it now and still really relate to it, and I was super young when it came out, but now it's like it still really resonates and definitely has impact on the younger kids the bt movie helped a whole lot just keeping their their star shining bright but for me it's don't be cruel all right all right okay 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 and melissa what would you say yeah it's don't be cruel for me as well <laughs> man um, hey, i think that uh <laughs> keith's keith sweat's album just sounds so much of the time and uh Bobby's album I think it it still sounds of the time but some of the songs could be worked now and re-released like mm. sounding okay. fresher that makes sense yeah understood understood I mean I mean the thing is yeah Keith made a great album I'm not knocking it but I just don't want to hear Keith sing a whole album yeah <laughs> that- I don't think Keith want to hear Keith sing a whole album either <laughs> but Keith can't help it he has to hear hey. him sing hey, he has to he has to well we see who the victor was for this. That's probably my first uh, win-win in a minute, huh? But, yeah, yeah. Hey, I think hey. so. I think so. It's always a tie. We always tie anyway, so I mean. Yeah, yeah. You but, know. you know, okay. All right. Yeah. I'll, give, I'll give this one to you. Go yeah, ahead you and uh, I'll, send, you I'll text it. you my, my Venmo again if you forgot. Uh, yeah, nah, send me Send me some cash for my it. champagne bottle. <laughs> I need that E-40 champagne. He got a new one that just, that just dropped. Shout out Earl <laughs> Stevens. But uh, yeah, so once again, I appreciate everybody for tuning in. So every artist that we mentioned today, we have them all on our official playlist on Spotify. So you can find that in the link um, of our show notes. And make sure that you uh, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We, we always Please. appreciate those. If you have any suggestions or anything for the drop, for beat match, whatever it is, send us an email to behindthewheelspod at gmail.com. And follow us on social media. We're always keeping it active. Um, I am... DJ R T I S T I C on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, what about you, E B? I am E B the number four Prez P R E Z. So E B for Prez on all social platforms. Or keep it universal. Okay, there it is. And before we head out, uh, something that, that I had a huge debate on Twitter yesterday about. Before we head out, I'm just gonna ask. This might be a preview for the next one. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna just ask you, uh, E B. Who who do you pick in the verses? If it's only their group work and not the solo work. TLC or Destiny's Child? TLC, 100%. Oh, we're on the same side, so yeah, ain't got to worry about that. We so. always on the same Yeah. Yeah, it tells you we are. So, all right, all right. But, no, we, we appreciate y'all for being tuned in. And uh, we'll see y'all at the next episode. Yeah. Out of here.